Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Rex Ureland, I'm an architect. I'm an architectural consultant. I'm a troubleshooter. Born and raised on Long Island. Okay. Been working in Manhattan since 1987. The arrest of a serial killer over a decade in the making, and police finally have their suspect in custody. We sit down with criminal defense attorney Julie Rendleman to discuss possible defenses for the alleged Gilgo Beach serial killer. Introducing the next generation of pepper spray, Meat Palm, a new maximum strength self-defense product with a patented modular design revolutionizing the self-defense industry. Whether you're carrying the unit on your keys, snapping the unit on your backpack, your keychain, or carrying the unit in your pocket, Palm is the perfect everyday carry accessory. Palm's patented flip-top safety prevents any accidental misfire, and its maximum strength formula provides you with the necessary range and capacity to bring peace of mind to you and your loved ones. Quality, safety, performance, peace of mind. Learn more at palmpepperspray.com. Welcome to Sidebar here on Law and Crime. I'm Anjanette Levy. On Thursday, authorities arrested and charged 59-year-old New York architect Rex Huerman with murder in connection to the killings of three of the four women who became known as the Gilgo Four. Huerman is charged with three counts of first-degree murder and three counts of second-degree murder for the 2009 murder of Melissa Barthelme and the 2010 murders of Megan Waterman and Amber Costello. He is also the prime suspect in the 2007 disappearance and death of Maureen Brainerd Barnes, but no charges have been filed in that case just yet. Huerman was actually interviewed last year for a show on YouTube entitled Bonjour Reality. Take a listen. Uh, you know, after all those years, what do you think uh, is the most impor- important qualities a person uh, in, your, in your position uh, dealing with the DOB must have? Patience. That's funny. I, I, I was hoping you would say that. <laughs> yeah. Um, patience, and I don't like to use the word tolerance, but sometimes you have to. Yeah. And it's not just with the city. It's also with the client. Because yeah. most clients, they don't understand what I have to do, why I have to do it, what it takes to get done. Yeah. And when you're dealing with somebody in the city, whether it be a clerk at the counter who has to enter data entry, or if I'm dealing with the borough commissioner of Manhattan, you need the patience because who knows what the person before you did. Sometimes they have very bad days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I've I've actually gone to the commissioner's office 
sat down in his waiting area yeah. at 11, 11.30 in the morning. And a little after five o'clock, I heard him finally holler out, is Rex still there? <laughs> That's how long I waited. Oh, God. Because that particular client, yeah. I had to see the commissioner. They were the only ones who could give us an answer. The investigation of the Gilgo Beach murders started back when an escort named Shannon Gilbert went missing in 2010 after leaving a client's home. While searching for her, they found a body, and then another, and then another, finding a total of 11 sets of remains. The Gilgo Four remains were found within a quarter mile of each other on Long Island's South Shore in December of 2010. All four were in burlap sacks. In 2011, six more sets of remains were recovered. Some of the women were last seen dating all the way back to the year 2000. And some partial remains were linked to another person's remains being discovered back in 1997. Most of the women were sex workers, in addition to one male victim and a female toddler. These killings shook the Long Island community over a decade ago, and then the killings seemed to stop. Finally, in 2023, the police arrested Rex Huerman, who they believed to be the killer. For almost 10 years, the investigation went cold, but back in 2020, authorities released a key clue and ID'd a victim. Using advanced forensic DNA technology, Suffolk County Police identified Jane Doe No. 6 as Valerie Mack, who went missing back in 2000. The key clue found was a black leather belt with the letters WH or HM embossed on it. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Then at the beginning of 2022, Suffolk County Police Commissioner Rodney Harrison made it a priority to investigate the Gilgo Beach murders. In March 2022, Rex Huerman was first mentioned as a possible suspect. Investigators used cell phone evidence and credit card billing to reveal Huerman was in the general location of the burner phones that were supposedly used to communicate with the victims. Authorities also found some unsettling internet searches on Huerman's computer that included child pornography. The police surveilled Huerman for almost a year. Finally, they had a breakthrough in January of 2023 when investigators got a sample of Huerman's DNA from a piece of pizza crust that he threw in the trash outside of his office in Manhattan. The analysis of the DNA was matched from Huerman's pizza crust and a strand of male hair recovered from the bottom of a burlap sack that one of the victims was found wrapped in. Here's Suffolk County District Attorney Raymond Tyranny discussing the investigation. Our, our partners and my office, we use the grand jury 
to continue to investigate. And we executed over 300 subpoenas, search warrants pertaining to this individual to find out more information. Uh, one of the things that we did is we followed him because we wanted to get an abandonment sample of his DNA, uh, which we were able to do. Uh, we also got uh, DNA samples, abandonment samples from his family. Uh, this really um, um, supported our decision to keep our investigative um, focus secret because we knew that one person would be watching and we didn't want to give him uh, any insight into what we were doing. And we also didn't want him to know just how close we were getting. Uh, so we maintain the, the, the grand jury secrecy and we maintain the integrity of our investigation. Uh, in addition to those, those uh, um, uh, Gilgo searches, he was searching, compulsively searching pictures of the victims, but not only pictures of the victims, pictures of their, uh, their uh, relatives, their, their, their sisters, uh, their children, uh, and he was trying to locate those individuals. So finally, on July 13th of 2023, the owner of the New York City-based architecture and consulting firm RH Consultants and Associates, Rex Huerman, was taken into custody. He seemed to be an unlikely suspect. Huerman is a husband and father of two. Huerman claims he is not the killer. He was remanded without bail. Huerman has entered a not guilty plea through his attorney and his next court appearance is set for August 1st. We, of course, will have that covered for you. Joining me to discuss ways in which this case could possibly be defended in a court of law is Julie Rendelman. She is a criminal defense attorney in New York City, also a former prosecutor and a good friend of law and crime and Sidebar. Julie, welcome back to Sidebar. Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. I'm uh, always great to see you. You've read the bail application in this case. Uh, how strong of a case do you think the state has here? Based on everything we've seen so far, assuming it is true, the prosecution has an incredibly strong circumstantial case against the defendant. Julie, in this case, we have cell phone evidence. We have DNA evidence. And in this day and age, the cell phone evidence is almost becoming the DNA evidence of 15, 20 years ago. These cell phones can be traced to people. They can be tracked to certain people. How do you fight this? So it's difficult. And remember, we're dealing with not just cell phone, uh, cell sites, cell towers. We're also dealing with the, the fact that there are burner phones that they're able to link between this defendant and it, I believe it's three of the alleged victims. And so um, you have more than just some scientific um, you know, arguments in terms of that this, he was near cell tower, or he or he was near when where one of the victims or all of the victims were found, because one can easily argue that he lives near them. How is it that they're going to be able to explain that he had burner phones as well that link him to each of those victims? Now, the argument is um, for a defense attorney is a it's the prosecution's burden to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that he committed the crime, not that not that he just had contact with each of these individuals and B, as a defense attorney, poking holes in that and establishing, even if you can accept that he had contact with the victims, you're still missing that link, proving beyond a reasonable doubt that he is the person that committed the crimes against each of these uh, young women. He is charged in the murders of three of these women at this point in time, but there are many more bodies possibly connected to this case. Do you anticipate possibly more arrests? 
Well, we've actually heard, um, I believe, from law enforcement that there's an expectation uh, that there will be another crime solved. And it sounds like he's the person of interest in that case. Um, the, the interesting thing, Anjanette, is whether or not at the end of the day, and we've seen this before with other serial killer cases where an individual is eventually convicted of one or more of these crimes, and they eventually confess to other crimes in order to avoid um, a heftier sentence, or just in a sense, come clean and continue to be in the spotlight, as we know some serial killers like to do. This guy's kind of interesting to me, um, Rex Huerman, because he's somebody that's going into the city every day. He owns an architectural for, for, firm. He's an architect. He's somebody who's, I guess, known somewhat in the community. Uh, so obviously this can happen. I mean, it, it, it happens. Not all, you know, murder suspects or defendants are the boogeyman. Um, but if you're, you know, the defense attorney in this case, which you are a defense attorney, Julie Rendleman, put yourself standing next to this guy in court. Uh, how do you go about defending him? I think the first thing is being able to establish to a jury that I don't have the burden to prove anything. It's the prosecution that has the burden to prove him guilty beyond a reasonable doubt in regards to each and every charge. Um, and, and then I think the second thing is, you know, while many of us agree that circumstantial evidence can be even stronger than direct evidence, there is at this point no witnesses that can identify this defendant as the person uh, who committed these crimes. And so the idea is to really poke holes in each piece of circumstantial evidence. For example, the DNA that's recovered. Was there any contamination? Uh, is there any reason to think that anyone involved in the investigation had some ax to grind? Did they have a desire to solve this case and pin it on him because it had been unsolved for so many years and they needed it done because uh, the community needed uh, some closure? So I think that as a defense attorney, while it's a it's an uphill battle, I think breaking down each and every piece of circumstantial evidence and poking the holes to say, they haven't proven beyond a reasonable doubt that he killed these women. They may know that he knew them or spoke to them, but not that he killed them. I think you make a good point there because maybe they could say, look, when his wife was out of town, you know, you might not like it, but he was reaching out to sex workers. Yeah, the, the problem you have is that he's linked to not just one of them. Um, he's linked to multiple uh, victims in this case. And so that in and of itself, uh, I agree, doesn't make out a proof beyond a reasonable doubt. But one of the things the prosecutor is going to do is say, let's put each piece of the puzzle on top of each other. Let's put each piece of evidence. You have now the car. Maybe it's not an exact identity of the car, but it's a car that looks just like the car he has. Um, that's what they're going to argue. And the defense is going to say, well, there's a million cars um, that could fit that description. The prosecution's going to say, well, this is a burly man, just like the defendant we have here. And the defense is going to say, there's a million burly men that live in Suffolk County or Nassau County or anywhere in the area. So each time the prosecutor makes a move, the defense is going to have a response to that move. And the question is whether or not the jury's going to buy what the prosecution's uh, selling to them in a sense or what, whether they're going to buy what the defense has to say. One thing you brought up just a, a moment ago was the fact that, you know, the defense will question whether or not somebody involved in this investigation had an axe to grind, uh, whether or not they were feeling pressure to solve this case. We know the DA in this case said that he formed a task force uh, to help solve this case after he took office in January of 2022. So he obviously 
is looking or was looking and is looking to solve all of these homicides. So do you go, when you go that route, do you say, you know what, we have this DA uh, who kind of came into town and decided I'm going to, I'm going to make my mark and we're going to figure this one out and we're going to do this. Um, But how difficult is that type of thing when you do have the evidence we discussed that that is circumstantial evidence that the DNA, the cell phone stuff, um, and they've kind of alluded to the fact that there may have been contact between this guy and the family members of the victims at some point in time, almost like these, like a taunting type thing. Sure. I think, look, as a prosecutor, I always liked uh, circumstantial evidence better than direct because that issue of credibility kind of goes out the window. Um, And why do I say that? Well, a burner phone, it doesn't matter whether a witness testifies about that or not. You got the burner phone. The jury can see that burner phone, see the calls that were made. Um, DNA also has that quality of not really relying on witnesses. However, um, the recovery of the DNA Um, leads questions in regards to who recovered it, how they recovered it. Did it touch any other potential evidence? Did they want it to be this defendant and therefore they did something um, to make sure that his DNA appeared? Is there questions about the DNA recovered? I think it's on the burlap sack that the victims were in, I think a piece of hair. Is one piece of of hair enough to say this defendant committed each of these crimes? You know, it's, it's a push and pull with the prosecution and the defense. The prosecution is going to push one way, the defense is going to push or pull the other way. Um, and at the end of the day, I think, look, I think the, again, when you put each piece together, we're headed towards a conviction, but the defense attorney is going to work diligently uh, to try to at least get one juror, one juror to say, I don't know if it's enough. So we have a few things going on here. You can attack the evidence, you can attack the investigation, and try to just target your, you know, arguments to one juror, maybe two, hoping to hang the jury. Yeah, I think, by the way, I think as a defense attorney on a case like this, you're going to do everything. You're not just going to pick one area and say, oh, there was a rush to judgment. I think you're going to say there was a rush to judgment on uh, in, in terms of law enforcement and their desire um, to, to find someone responsible for this crime. But they're also going to go into the fact that there's pieces missing, um, i.e. an identification of the defendant as the person who committed this crime, which, by the way, some jurors don't like not having an eyewitness to identify someone. They they can't accept that circumstantial evidence part of it, even when it's overwhelming. So I think as a defense attorney, you're going to come at it from every single angle um, to see if there's any areas you can catch one or two jurors or maybe more um, that kind of say, oh, you know what, the defense is right. We are missing pieces. There are reports, too, that he was keeping up on the case and doing Internet searches and stuff like that. As a defense attorney, do you point to something like that and say, well, of course, my guy was looking this stuff up. He, he lives in the area. He was he was concerned. I think uh, that that's probably one of the weakest parts of their circumstantial case. I think anyone who lived in the area, or by the way, anyone who lived in New York, uh, let alone more particularly in that area, would be looking up the case, looking up the investigation, and trying to see what's happening. Now, the difference here is that you're not looking at that piece of evidence by itself. And that's when we start to talk again about the mounds of evidence, the mountain that you're building, because the prosecution is going to say, he isn't like everyone else. 
He was looking it up. He also was contacting the complainants, the, the victims through his burner phone. He has a car that matches. He looks like the person. Um, his cell, the cell towers link in there. So it's not just Google searches. It's Google searches plus all the other pieces of evidence that point directly towards him. Well, Julie Rendleman, we'll be keeping a close eye on it. Uh, this is a case that has captured the attention of people on Long Island, in New York, and really across the country. I mean, this is a long-solved mystery, at least now that police say they've solved part of for now. Uh, thanks again for your time and your expertise, as always. Thank you so much for having me. That's it for this edition of Law & Crime Sidebar Podcast. You can listen to and download Sidebar on Apple, Spotify, Google, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And of course, you can always watch it on Law & Crime's YouTube channel. I'm Anjanette Levy, and we will see you next time.